0: Wednesday, April 22nd, uh, 2020, and I just want to jump right back into our talks about experiencing God. Yesterday, we spent some time and just tried to pull up the weeds, right? We said that um, if we're ever really going to experience God, if we're going to taste and see that God's good, um, then a lot of that rises and falls on the way that we pray, the way that we commune with Him. And if that's a garden, Uh, the very first thing we got to do is we have to pull up those weeds. And uh, one of the biggest weeds or the big weed that has to be uprooted is uh, pride. And so um, yesterday we talked a lot about how we diagnose that. And there's something about uh, confessing pride that's amazing because uh, when you confess pride, it's actually the only way to cure pride. And so, In the confession, you're um, experiencing the cure at the same time. I hope you felt a little bit of that yesterday as we took some time at the end um, and just prayed about those things. And today I just want to spend time and uh, start to plant seeds into what changes a prayer life. And I feel like what really has the potential and the power to change our prayer life is not just a new regimen, but a new vision, right? Um, What we have to understand is that you don't change behaviors with instructions. Behaviors change with a new vision. Your behavior will never rise above the vision that you have, and it's no different with prayer, right? Uh, You may think that you need a new set of instructions, a new practice, a new routine. And while all those behaviors are helpful, Uh, They can't cure the lack of desire. Only vision does that. And that's what I love about um, Christianity, right? Christianity is not primarily about a set of rules or instructions or about how we should live. Christianity is fundamentally about an event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to how Paul uh, describes Christianity in a paragraph, and you'll get a— vision for what transforms our prayer life. Paul says this, uh, now I want to remind you brothers of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain and here, he's going to get into what he feels like that the meat is for, I delivered to you as a first importance, what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures You see how many times he used that word appeared when it talks about the resurrection. Jesus defeated death by dying. He proclaimed this victory to his disciples with more than words from heaven. He proclaimed it with a vision of himself, resurrected. And this changes everything, y'all. It changes how we pray, right? I, I want you to hear this. Uh, how we pray, how you pray more than just about anything either reaffirms or undermines your belief in the resurrection christ 's mes- christ's resurrection is meant to change your prayer life not just your prayer regimen here's a little parable from my marriage if you'll entertain me for a bit and i 'll see if I can Uh, Yeah, drive this home for all of us. I've been married a little more than um, 12 years, and I still don't know where to find the measuring cups uh, in our house. My wife is very organized. Everything has its place. Um, Absolutely everything. I should know where they are, but I don't know where they are, and I forget frequently. Um, So when I'm in need of those, I go to Chandra and I'll say something like, hey, Chandra, um, where are the cups? And Uh, She doesn't like that at all. Right. So she'll say things like you should know where the cups are by now. We've been married 12 years. Uh, You know, sometimes when she's been reading the words of uh, Christ, she'll come back with me and say things like, "Um, have I been with you this long? And you still don't know where they are. Uh, My personal favorite is when she says, "Um, what would you do if I weren't here? That, my friends, is what you call a rhetorical question. Um, and rhetorical questions aren't meant to be answered, but I have found that they're actually more fun to answer, uh, than they are to ask. And so, um, I tend to think this, I don't say it, but I think this in my head, um, well, I mean, if, if you weren't here, then I guess I'd have to look for the cups on my own. And if history is any indicator of the future, And I'd probably work real hard trying to find the cups and I wouldn't find it. And I would come back and ask you anyways. And, but more than that, why would I trouble myself when I could just trouble you? Uh, I think all of that in my head, I don't say it. It's 12 years later and I'm still married. Uh, But one thing that I do is I go to her and I say, but Chandra, you are here. Yeah, Yeah. Maybe if you weren't here, I'd have to work through all of that. No, but sweetheart, you are here. Why would I go searching for answers on my own and gamble with an outcome when I could just ask you and have my problem solved? I see you. And because I see you, I can't unsee you. You're here. I trouble myself unnecessarily by acting like you're not. I'd much rather trouble you. I leave that last part to myself. Uh, but long story short, I think that's how the disciples felt after they saw Jesus raised from the dead or after he appeared to them. If you read through Acts chapters one through six, what you'll find is they face problems of all shapes and sizes. Everything from lacking direction to when their leader left, to picking up the pieces after being betrayed by a close friend, to struggling with a growing church, to feeling weak and afraid as they were confused with their culture's hostility to their beliefs, to wrestling through ethnic tension that threatened the life of the church. All that took place in the first six chapters. And do you know what you find? Every time they run up against a problem, they respond differently than they did prior to the resurrection. After the resurrection, They respond with these prompt and impromptu prayer meetings. They prayed. They always prayed with every problem. They didn't go searching for the answers on their own. Why? Because they had seen Jesus get up from the grave alive, and they couldn't unsee it. They lived and prayed like he was alive with prompt and impromptu prayer. I imagine that whenever they found themselves up against any problem. They tempted to think, what What should we do with this stuff right in front of us? And I imagine that they went through and said, man, if history is an indicator of the future, chances are we're probably going to work really, really hard and just mess things up. Why? But But then it came back to their mind. But wait a minute, we don't have to do this on our own. Jesus is alive. He's breathing. We've seen him. And we can't unsee him. Why would we trouble ourselves when we know that we can trouble him? And I feel like it's that vision that fueled their transformed prayer lives. Um, You are not alone. Today, you are not on your own. The same Jesus that got up from the grave still lives. And he's ever interceding for you. He's praying for you right now. He's up. He's alive. Taking your burdens to him is no trouble at all. This is the vision that fuels prayer. It's the vision that leads the way. It's the vision that has the ability to change our behavior. I love you. Spend today unburdening yourselves to him.